Good evening. Today is Tuesday, October 19th, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter and step is chapter 10, Into Action, and our speaker tonight is Barbara A. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you. Just making sure that you can hear me. Okay, good. So hi, everyone. I'm Barbara, a compulsive overeater from Newport Ritchie, Florida, and I'm delighted to speak to you about step 10. I'd like to start with the 10th step promise because I think this is the greatest example about the rewards for doing steps as outlined in the big book. So it says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food, for by this time sanity will have returned. We'll seldom be interested in compulsive overeating. If tempted, we would crawl from it as from a hot flame, react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. We'll see that our new attitude towards food has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We're neither cocky nor afraid. This is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And I'd like to tell you how each line of this promise relates to me. So the first line is, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. I no longer have to be angry, retaliate, or justify any of my actions. I fit comfortably in my own skin and this world, no matter who I'm with or where I am. As for the anything, even the food part, this is what I wanted to achieve when I first came to OA. I didn't want the food to be so important. I didn't want the food to be calling me. I didn't want to keep breaking diets. I didn't want to continue to get fatter. I didn't want to white knuckle it. And I didn't want to hate my body and how it looked. As a result of doing this work, every negative attitude I had towards my body and my food is gone. I'm at the point where I no longer have the need to put sugar or white flour products or large quantities of food into my body. For by this time, sanity will have returned. I no longer believe the lie that food will make me feel better or that eating will solve my problems. I no longer have that overwhelming feeling that I have to eat or I will die. We will seldom be interested in compulsive overeating. I no longer want to eat huge quantities of food, nor do I even have to make a decision whether I will stay within my food plan or not. I know what I'm going to eat and in what quantities. Even if food is in front of me, I know what is mine and what is not, and I happily eat what I plan, and these foods are within my definition of abstinence. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. When I first became abstinent, I would look at the foods that were not in my food corral and say out loud, poison. I now know that I'm the one who makes food hurtful by eating the foods I'm allergic to or eating large quantities. We react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. My daughter, who is not a compulsive bow reader, will go to McDonald's, order a meal, eat some of the hamburger, have a few fries, drink some of the soda, and then she's done because she's full. For someone who is not a compulsive bow reader that is acting sanely and normally where food is concerned. For me, eating sanely and normally means that after I'm done eating what I have planned, that meal is over. The funny part is that it really does happen automatically. Eating what I plan, being done with it, and then being grateful for what I just ate has become my way of life. We will see that our new attitude towards food has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. 
My new attitude towards food came as a result of working the steps. Once I was on the other side of step 12, food just became food, something that fuels this magnificent gift in the form of this body. The effort I had to put into it was actually working the steps as outlined in the big book, but once I did that and stay in steps 10, 11, and 12, no huge amount of thought or effort is needed for me to maintain my abstinence. That is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. Fighting it describes exactly where I was before OA. I was constantly warring with the food, warring with my body, and warring with everyone I came in contact with. The miracle is that there are no battles anymore. There was never an all-out war, just a complete surrender and willingness to do what I needed to do each day to get and stay connected to my higher power. And as a result, I can go anywhere and be safe. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. This is all I ever wanted, to feel safe and protected. By doing the work associated with the 12 steps, I have hooked up with my magnificent higher power who loves me, is always there for me, and only wants the best for me. I'm in a place of neutrality. There's nothing on the outside that can make me feel bad on the inside, and I don't do anything that makes me feel embarrassed, ashamed, or guilty. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. This is what all the step work is about, to get me to the place where the problem, my obsession, has been removed. I no longer have to make promises I can't keep where eating, exercise, or body shape are concerned. While I started off powerless when I first came to OA, I'm now connected to the one thing strong enough to overcome the effects of my being a compulsive overeater, and with his power, I can do anything. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. I'm not cocky because I realize I'm not the one doing this. I'm given a daily reprieve based on how willing I am to do what's needed to stay connected to my higher power. I'm not afraid. I've learned that when I'm afraid, it's only because I've just become agnostic and don't believe my higher power is strong enough to get me through whatever I'm worried about or scared of. I've learned that there is nothing to be afraid of because everything is from my higher power, either to teach me something I need to learn or protect me from something in the future. Last line, and that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And how do I stay in fit spiritual condition? By living steps 10, 11, and 12 every day, which means I immediately do step 10 whenever I'm angry, worried, afraid, about to harm someone or have harmed someone. I continuously pray my two prayers. The first is thank you, thank you, thank you. And the second prayer is, please tell me what you want me to do and give me the strength to carry that out. I watch for direction and guidance from my higher power, act as God's agent, being kind, caring, and loving. And I carry the message of this program that if you're a compulsive overeater, there's a way out of all this misery, that you never have to overeat again, nor do you ever have to feel as bad as you do right now. And then I use the big book to teach others how to actually make that come true. Instructions for step 10 are on page 84 of the big book. They are very specific directions, but in order for me to do them properly, I have to first follow the directions on pages one through 83 to be able to do what is on page 84. And because each step builds on the previous one, I'd like to spend a little time talking about working these previous steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. There were two things that make me powerless. The first is that I have an allergy to certain substances. For me, it's white flour and pure sugar. 
When I put these in my body, they create a physical craving. The second thing that makes me powerless is that I have an obsession of the mind that gets triggered by events that are real or imagined that causes my brain to believe I have to eat or I'm going to die. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The only requirement for step two is to be able to honestly answer yes to the following question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than me that can solve my problem? Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I want to point out that this is only a decision. When we first do step three, we don't have the power to turn our life and our will over. Our character defects and our belief that we need to control everything won't let us. All we are doing in step three is making a decision to give our own concept of a higher power a try. Step three is not turning your life and your will over. It's only making the decision that at some point in the future, we'll be willing to do that. And until that time, you will be willing to do the necessary work to get you there. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I did four inventories, each having five columns. For the resentment inventory, column one, who am I mad at? Column two, why am I mad? Column three, or parts of self were hurt, threatened, or interfered with by what is written in column two. Column four, how did I get the ball rolling? What did I think, say, do, not say, or not do that started this resentment? How was I responsible? And column five, what character defects allowed me to do what is in column four? For the fear inventory, column one, what am I afraid of? Column two, why am I afraid? Column three, do I realize I'm afraid because I rely on myself instead of my higher power? Column four, what can I do to minimize the chance of this fear happening, which can also include what new thought patterns I need to adopt? And column five, what character defects would stop me from doing what I listed in column four? And for the with sex and without sex harms inventories, column one, who did I hurt? Column two, how did I hurt them? Column three, what parts of self got rewarded? Column four, what should I have done instead? And what will I do from this point forward? And column five, what character defects allowed me to do what's in column two? Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step five is looking for the things that are blocking you off from your higher power. And the things blocking you off from your higher power are your character defects. I read all the character defects that I'd listed in column five from all four inventories to my sponsor. It was amazing to see how many times the same character defects came up over and over and over again. And as a result, I realized that it wasn't the people or things in column one that were causing my unhappiness, but the character defects that were listed in column five. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I took all the character defects written in column five from all four inventories and transferred them to the left side of a sheet of paper. If any character defect was listed more than once, I only listed on the sheet once. I read over the list of the character defects I wrote down and answered the question, do I want them removed? And my answer was yes. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I took the list of character defects I made in step six and added next to them the opposites of each character defect. Each morning I would do the following prayer for each character defect. Please God stop me from being the character defect and teach me to be the character asset. 
Also throughout the day, whenever a character defect cropped up, I immediately stopped, took a deep breath, asked God to stop me from being the character defect and teach me to be the opposite. And then, and this is the most important part, I would act as if I was someone who had that character asset. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. I made up index cards for each harm that listed columns one, two, and four, the name of the person I hurt, what I had done to them, what I should have done instead, and what I will do from this point forward. I then looked at each index card and at the bottom of each one, I wrote what I needed to do in order to clean up what I had done, a living amends, restitution, or an apology, or any combination of these three. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. One thing I was taught for step nine is that I am not others. My step nine to myself was very short. I looked in the mirror and said, I'm sorry for every hurtful, stupid, foolish thing I've done in the future, I will take really good care of us. And that was the end of my focusing on myself, except for actually carrying out that promise. Remember, step nine is cleaning up the harms we have caused to other people, and that is where the focus should be, on other people. One of the main results, if the steps are done correctly, is that we stop being selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-pitying, self-focusing, self-deprecating, self-absorbed, and any other self-word you can think of. In step nine, we don't focus on ourselves, but on how we can clean up what we have done to others. The most important things about step nine is one, to not make any apologies that would cause harm, and two, start behaving differently so I stop creating new harms. My number one rule became no new wreckage. And now that brings me up to step 10. The first thing I'd like to say is that doing steps four through nine is used to clean up the things from my past. Doing step 10 is used to immediately clean up things as they happen from this point forward. So step 10, continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. The instructions for step 10 are on page 84 and says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We have rigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. I want to point out two things from these instructions. The first is, notice it says we ask God at once to remove them, which means immediately, at this exact moment, quickly, promptly, speedily, and right now. The second thing is that one part of the step 10 instruction says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. I want to point out that it says when these crop up, and the question is when what crops up, and the answer is selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. In other words, our character defects. Another question pertains to the instruction 
We ask God at once to remove them and we discuss them with someone. So again, the question is, what is the word them referring to? And again, the answer is our character defects. So discussing them means only discussing the character defects and not the whole story. And it also means not asking for advice. The discussing it with another person is not to rehash what just happened that got you upset. So it's not a good idea to be calling other people and giving them all these negative details. We don't want to focus on problems, but on solutions. We don't want a wrong that someone did to us to become a resentment. It's when we talk about or think about the situation that we develop the resentment. I also want to mention that calling a 10-step buddy or even a bunch of people to get a consensus on what you should do is the exact opposite of what this program is actually trying to teach us, which is to rely on and be guided solely by our higher power. Here are the instructions on how to do a step 10 properly. Step 10 is done at the exact moment you are angry, worried, afraid, about to harm someone or have harmed someone. You immediately pay attention to what you are about to do or say and what thoughts are in your head and immediately ask God to give you the strength to do the opposite and then do that opposite. When I first started doing step 10, I had to do it 20 to 30 times a day, but by doing so many so often, I learned a lot of valuable lessons. I learned in step 10 to be grateful for everything that was happening in my life, even the things I didn't think were so great, because I learned that everything that happens is from my higher power, either to teach me something I need to learn or to protect me from something later on. I learned in step 10 that my process is only for me. Whatever anyone else does or whatever happens to them has absolutely nothing to do with me. I can share in others' joy and help if necessary, but there's nothing I need on the outside to make me feel okay on the inside. And there's nothing on the outside that can make me feel bad unless I internalize it and carry it with me. I learned in step 10 how powerful my God is, how wonderful he is at teaching me the things I need to learn, and what a great sense of humor he has. By doing steps one through nine properly, you have removed the things blocking you off from your higher power, and now there is nothing interfering with you receiving messages, lessons in step 10, and guidance in step 11 from your higher power. If you can remember that everything that is happening in step 10 is from your higher power to either teach you something you need to learn or to protect you from something in the future, you will realize that there's absolutely nothing to ever be upset about. And the gift for believing this is peace of mind and finding a quick and easy solution to every situation you find yourself in. I guess that's all that I have to say. I'm gonna end here. And I'd like to thank everyone for giving me the opportunity to be of service. And with that, I will pass. Wow, Barbara, thank you so much. I'm so blessed to be at this meeting tonight. Um, that was chock full of just such practical, practical information. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we are now gonna open up the meeting for questions or three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone, and Angela will call the raised hands in that order. Um, Lita, could you please set a timer for three minutes for each share and just announce when time is up? The floor is open.
Go ahead, Erin. Hey, I'm going to jump in there. That was just so, <laughs> I was just really, I, know, I was really inspired. I could tell you put a lot of um, time and effort into what you were going to say. And I'm on step three. And um, you said, I'm going to check my notes. You, oh my goodness, you really spoke to me when you said, um, when I'm afraid, it's because I have just become agnostic about something. I loved that. And another fellow said recently, like the term pockets of agnosticism, because I've never, like, I was Christian, like whole life growing up, like I've always had this Christian God as a higher power. I'm not someone who came in with a problem with that concept or anything. But as I'm doing, as I'm like, thinking about this um, assignment that I have right now, which is to write about the areas of my life that I don't feel ready to turn over. I do see fear cropping up. Like I could increase my tithe. Like I could, I could be better with my money, right? <laughs> like a lot of us probably could. Um, and I so quickly tell myself like all these excuses about why I shouldn't do that, or I'm single and I should be saving, you know, like all of these reasons start popping up in my head. And um God just gave me this awesome example. Like I, I was talking to my sponsor about putting down a certain food item and I had just bought a bunch of it. And so my disease decided to tell her, well, you know, I really don't like wasting money and I really don't like wasting food. You know, like all these things that were popping up because I, I didn't want to put the food down. And, um, lo and behold, she's like, I'm pretty sure God can figure out a way to pay you back for that. You know? And, um, I got a $400 50 check that week in the mail for my escrow overage. And then two days later, I got $2,500 more for some escrow thing. I don't even understand. But God gave, like, I was worried about my $30 grocery bill. And God's like, here's 3000 Like, you good? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not just going to reimburse you for that. Like, here's 30 times more than that, you know, like, to last you the rest of the year. So it was just such a beautiful example of, like, he's got this way more than I ever, you know, like anything I'm afraid of, it's so small to him just in relative to how big he is. So I just, I love your, it just was a dose of reality for me to hear. Like if I'm afraid, right, it's the opposite of faith. And I'm not, I'm, it's agnosticism in, in that moment and with that subject. So thank you for that because it's helping me be more honest with myself. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. And can I just mention something that you triggered in there? What you're going to learn as you go through these steps is that each of us has one core fear that drives every resentment, every harm, and every other fear. So for me, it, my core fear was that I was not going to be special. And so I was mad at anybody who didn't make me feel important, and I retaliated because you didn't make me feel important. The thing that you can learn in your, your core fear, which I'm not sure it might be, you know, like not having abundance, lacking in financials and stuff. What you learn is that your higher power, like for me, my higher power thinks that I'm special. I no longer need that from people. And the minute that you don't need it anymore, all of a sudden you get it. It's the weirdest thing. Um, I'm just going to like tell you a really quick story because like I had two full-time jobs and still couldn't pay my regular bills. I would date guys I didn't like, have them sleep over, steal money out of their wallet just so I could pay my electric and phone bills, right? What happened was I do this program. I start trusting my higher power. All of a sudden, I stop being um, lazy and entitled, and I get promotion after promotion after promotion, which means raise after raise after raise, all within a year. And what happened is I went from secretarial pool 
to first level management. And I worked for Lucent and the company went under and they had everybody who had more than 25 years service be able to take a package. If I had stayed as the secretary, my pension would have been $230 a month. Because I was first level management, it was $25,000 a year. And two years later, Lucent decided they didn't want to pay everybody's stuff and they bought out everybody's pension. So it's like from your own experience in doing this work, you're going to learn that God really has your back and you don't really, you have to do the footwork, but he performs miracles. Thank you so much, Barbara. Go ahead, Amy. Thank you. Thank you, Angela and Erin, Team Tuesday for October. Really appreciate your service. Um, And happy birthday, Janet Z. Very, very happy birthday to you. And thank you so much, Barbara, for your service tonight. That breakdown was really informative. um, And um, I'm really glad that we have it recorded as a resource because I will um, listen again and get all the notes that I was not able to uh, get, but um, I soaked it all up. I want to thank you, especially for talking about um, in step five and step 10, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs, not read them our step four. And also in step 10, we, when we ask God to remove them, like when, what we are discussing and focusing on is, um, our defects, not on what was done to us. Like, like step 10 takes us straight to column four. It doesn't ask us what happened. It just says, continue to watch for our defects. It doesn't care the vehicle that delivers them. Um, and, uh, and the not relying on human power being the point of this program and to have to heavily rely upon another person to do a step 10 um, sort of uh, uh, being a, a bit in conflict with that ideology. Um, and not to say that like the fellowship is not a wonderful part and, you know, connecting with other compulsive overeaters and, you know, discussing basically like my defects and the solution that I bring when I feel them, because that's what we really want to talk about is the solution. And now I've babbled on the way to the question, which basically was, um, what do you do when you have somebody who either in a fifth step or a 10 step really wants to, to explain or or, and, and you don't want to be uncaring or, or I think you get what I'm asking. I, I would love your experience on that thing. So the, I'm going to answer your question in a second, but I also want to mention that I was once asked how I sponsor and I wrote it all down and it became a 73 page book. I'm going to put my email in the chat. Anybody who wants it, it starts from the day that you meet somebody all the way through doing the steps with all the forms and the principles and the traditions. Anybody who wants it, just send me an email that says, send me how I sponsor and I'll send it right to you. It's a PDF. Okay, so in and if you look at when I meet somebody for the very first time and I tell them this is how I sponsor and the one of the first things I tell them is, We're not going to discuss your life. If after you do your fifth step, there's still a problem that is lingering from before you did step one, we will discuss it then, but the steps will take care of everything. I will not listen to your Do we give it another three? 
Okay. Yeah. We, um, and that each day I'm going to give you an assignment. And the first thing I'm going to say to you each day is, did you do the assignment? And if you say not yet, I'm going to say, I'm going to hang up now, call me back when you have it done and I'll take your food and give you your next assignment then. So what happens is by the time they get to the fifth step, we have gone through the big book. We have discussed everything. And when we get to the fifth step, my instructions to them is get out all four inventories and you are going to read me your column five. And I don't care how many times selfish or jealous or you're just going to read me there. And I'm not. And I the only story that I hear is when they're done with all the character defects, I ask them for their deepest, darkest secret. And that might be like one story. But the whole thing is that if I spend time in the fifth step listening to all this stuff, the more they talk about the stuff, they're refeeling it, which is what resentment is. It comes from centauri, meaning to feel. So re means to refeel. I don't want to hear all the stuff. In step eight, when they read me their index cards, I will then hear what they've done then. And for step 10, I back away at step 10. They just send me their um, character defects because once I, if I stay in step 10 and I be their their coach, their mother, their doctor, their psychiatrist, their life coach, whatever it is, I'm cheating them out of connecting to their higher power. Because if I back away until they slide into 11, they have to rely only on their higher power. Unless they get a step 10 buddy or a step 10 trainer or something, then they still rely on people. My job is to teach them how to rely only on their higher power so that I become obsolete. So that once the time they're on the other side of 12, I no longer am their sponsor, I'm their friend, and I can take on new people to sponsor. So there are Thank no stories you. in five or 10. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, I think Wendy has her hand up. Oh, go ahead, Wendy. Thank you. Um, hi, this is Wendy S., a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, thank you so much for that. That was incredible. And I'm definitely going to email you for, for your sponsoring book. Um, uh, the question I have, and maybe I missed the answer, but um, you had mentioned in step three that it's not actually an action step that... Um, that you're making the de a decision, when does that shift? <laughs> like, what is the, you know, what does that look like? And when does that shift? Thanks. Okay, a great question. Because um, one, two, and three are not action steps. They're, I have a problem. I can't solve it. Maybe there's something that can. And step three, I'm going to give this thing a try and do what I have to do to connect it. For me and for most of the people, the shift takes place in step 11. Because what happens in step three, see the real truth for step one is that I'm not powerless over food. Food is my really, really bad solution where God becomes my really, really good solution. Everybody's real problem is that I'm powerless over thinking I'm everyone else's higher power and that I can control everything and everybody should do everything to make my life easier and do things my way. You know, there's that line that everybody would be happy, you know, and the true, you know, from the actor that doesn't happen. So what happens is one, two and three are very quick. And then you do the inventories and all the other stuff, four through nine. 
And now you've gotten rid of everything that blocks you off from your higher power and you're an open vessel. And what step 10 does is it keeps you as an open vessel. In step 10, God keeps putting you in situations where you can learn to be the opposite of your character defects. And what happens between step nine with your amends and not like dying over doing them and step 10, realizing that when I let God be in charge, everything turns out okay for me and everyone else. All of a sudden, that step three decision to let this thing that put the world together so beautifully be in charge, you slide into step 11. I can't teach anyone step 11. I can't teach anyone to be spiritual. It has to come from your own experience. And the minute, and it's a distinct, I can't explain it to you. You know when it happens, when all of a sudden there's a whole shift in your way of thinking of, my way sucks. <laughs> and when I let this thing be in charge, it's 10 billion times better. And I want it to be in charge. And what happens is every time you start thinking you're in control again, you quickly do step 10, reconnect with this thing. And it take, and miracle after miracle after miracle happens. Um, and, and for me and most of the people I've sponsored, it's happened at 11. The shift from step three becomes your reality in step 11 when that decision turns into reality that you're going to let this thing be in charge of your life, you know, your thoughts and your actions. That's time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barbara. Actually, good timing. I think we're going to go ahead and stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. Angela, would you please?